Grace, mercy, and the peace of God, our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, in his name, amen. There's a lingering question that has hung over the world for, well, 2,000 years. Who is Jesus? Who is this one whom history records as Jesus, whom the Bible describes this Jesus, who is, who is he? And 2,000 years later, people still wonder, people still talk about it, the man on the street kind of interview, maybe you've seen some of these, where someone walking around with a camera and a microphone is asking people just randomly as they, as they walk down the, the street, who do you think Jesus is? And, and you get a variety of answers. Some say he's a great teacher, a nice guy, a prophet, maybe. You might hear son of God, a miracle worker, maybe an I don't know. In Mark chapter 8, this question will come up, who do people say I am? And through the month of January, we've been Asking this question, what child is this? Looking at the identity of Jesus through these narratives of his earliest days. What child is this? Borrowing the hymn title, looking at his circumcision a few weeks ago, the naming, the dedication of Jesus. What do we learn about his identity in that text? And then when the Magi arrive, what do we know about Jesus through, through what we learn there? When he was 12 and hanging out at the temple. And if you've missed any of the last few weeks, well, or any weeks before that, there are videos of messages dating back for nearly a year and audio recordings before that. So if you want to get caught up, you have a chance. I remember a few times, I don't know, this happened I think more than once, where I would go to a shopping center, a store with oftentimes my mom, and she would be looking at clothes, and I would be not looking at clothes. And so, you, you know those, those circular racks of, of clothes where, like, the middle of it is kind of a void? So if you're a young kid and you, you kind of either you, you go through, right, and then you can close it and you can kind of hide in there? Or maybe you go under and you come up in that void and you've got hangers of clothes all around you, 360 degrees, and you can kind of just hang out while mom looks at other clothes somewhere. Well, if you stay in there long enough and mom doesn't see you go in there and she keeps going down the aisle and then suddenly she might turn around and wonder where you went. Yeah, that happened. <laughs> And I remember coming out from my little fort of clothing and not finding her and wondering where did she go. And so, you know, you know the announcement that sometimes comes over the speakers in the store? This is when we used to go shopping, when, you know, you could hang out in the retail places, right? So, uh, so I go to the front or the office or something, or maybe somebody who worked there helped me get to where they could make that announcement, 
Ladies and gentlemen, we have a, a little lost boy here who's wearing a blue shirt and, or whatever it was that they would say. I haven't heard an announcement like that in quite a while. And nowadays, I wonder if a child gets separated from a parent in a place where there's shopping and kind of public space. I mean, even pre, you know, shutdown, COVID, quarantining, sheltering, distancing, all that. But when, when life was normal, in our times, would the parent be able to just walk up and claim the child and walk away? Because that's what happened with me. Right. And it wasn't a pretty scene, necessarily, because it was my fault. I'll admit that. Nowadays, you probably have to prove your relationship. You know, there might be identifications and who knows what to make sure that the one to whom the, the employees return that child is actually the one who's responsible for the kid. Because identity is important. Who are you is an important question for us to, to figure out, to answer, to be able to answer for ourselves. Who are you? And maybe part of that is your name, because that's oftentimes the first thing we introduce ourselves with, is our name, and names have meaning, and names are important. Our children's names, for our three kids, are connected to people in, in our past. For either Paula or me, there was a person or multiple people for whom they are named. But we're more than that. What we do is a part of who we are. Our occupation, our hobbies, our interests, what we think is part of who we are. What labels do we not mind, or even apply to ourselves. See, a lot of times we get reduced to labels that, that people might put on us, that separate people into groups of, you know, how they think politically, how they think economically, you know, what kind of age range are they in, what kind of work has he or she done. And some of the labels that we put on ourselves or other people are good and accurate and appropriate and make sense, but other times it seems like we re just reduce people to these segmented groups. Who is Jesus? His identity is important. And John the Baptist in Mark chapter 1 verse 7 gives what's kind of an odd introduction to Jesus. John preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. What could John have said? What did he know at that time? In John chapter 1, in a similar way as Jesus is coming and John is baptizing and and John looks and sees Jesus. He says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in a lot of ways, that makes more sense to us. Jesus as the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sin of the world. This is our, our identity of Jesus. This is who we see. Right? But here with some shoe-tying unworthiness for John, 
and this baptism with the Holy Spirit, it's, it's rather an odd introduction. But it connects us to who Jesus is, the one who is mightier than John. The John who later would go on to say, I must decrease and he must increase. But John's not the only one who identifies Jesus here in Mark chapter 1. In verse 11, we know that Jesus is the Son of God. As he's coming up from being baptized, Mark chapter 1, verse 11, a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Baptism didn't establish the identity of Jesus. It wasn't at his baptism that he becomes the Son of God. That's been suggested by some, but he's the Son of God for eternity. You understand that from other scripture. Nor did the announcement make that so. In the way that God said, let there be light, he's not establishing Jesus as Son of God by saying, you are my Son, and making it happen, making that the identity of Jesus. No, he's already the Son of God. But in his baptism, God sees a child of Israel with whom he is pleased, with whom he is well pleased. John came preaching a baptism of, re of, of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. And it's important to understand in that context, as Jesus comes, he is arriving without sin. And so as he submits to the baptism of Jesus, he is already taking on himself this identity of, of Israel. Not as a sinful person in himself, but as a child of Israel submitting to the waters of baptism. So the guilt of Israel, which is the theme of John's preaching, in that context, God sees the one with whom he is well pleased. That's who Jesus is, the Son of God, the beloved Son of God, his one and only Son, or only begotten Son, the one that John chapter 3 describes as the gift for the forgiveness of the sin of the world. This is who comes to the waters of baptism. The Lamb of God, the Son of God, the one who takes our sin away so that your identity is in Jesus. We are children of God through faith. We're children of God through faith. I am who you say I am. Those Words ring through the song that we heard just before worship began. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And we're children of God through faith in Him. Those words come from Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. We're sons and daughters of the King. Sons and daughters... Who could hear those same words spoken over us? You are my son. You are my daughter. 
Through faith in Christ, we are his children, and God is pleased with us. Kids, when they're young in particular, but even throughout life likely, want to hear words like that, that I'm pleased with you, that I approve of you, that I love you, that what you've done is good, right? When the art project gets hung on the, on the refrigerator, even if it's not really that good, it's an approval, it's an encouragement. Some grow up with a lot of that encouragement, others not much. But God approves of his children because of our faith in Christ. Not because of our obedience, not because of our holiness, but not because of our effort, but because of Jesus. He is pleased with us. I remember when Max was born. Max is going to be 23 in just a couple of months, which is just, where'd the time go, right? But I remember when he was born, the moment that the doctor looked down, looked up at me or said over, over Paula as the delivery was, was completing, and he said, you have a son. And I remember that the first time, that sense of pride of knowing I had a son, there was a bond, a relationship, an identity, a family, a connection that was already there, but just in the way that it was said, and in that moment there in the delivery room, there was something unique about it. And it was the doctor saying, this is your son, but I just remember that moment. I had a son. I think God thinks the same way about us. Through faith in Christ, he has a son or a daughter, and he is pleased with us because through baptism we are his. We looked at Galatians 3.26. It goes on in verse 27 to say this, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So the baptism of Jesus was an example for us of obedience, of righteousness, of sonship, of identity. Establishing the sacrament of baptism commanded by God, by Jesus in Matthew 28, that we would go and make disciples baptizing. So we believe that in the waters of baptism, the Spirit is active and is marking us and claiming us and sealing us with an identity. So we are baptized into Christ. So we put on Christ. We, we get that, that robe of righteousness through faith in Christ, and it happens in the waters of baptism. In this mysterious way, right? It's water. No, it's not simply water. It's water and God's word. This is what Luther writes in the small catechism. That the spirit is active in the waters of baptism for you and me, and we, through baptism, are his. That in that water we are claimed, and the spirit is at work, so we put on Christ. A lot of times when, when someone comes for baptism... Particularly, we do this with, with young kids, but I know that's a tradition that has 
been practiced in different ways. There's a, oftentimes a white garment, a white robe or a white outfit. And yeah, white looks nice in baptism, but it's not just for its appearance. It's to represent the holiness that we receive as a gift from God through the waters of baptism. That as we put on Christ, as we're given this new identity, that we are in God's eyes holy and perfect. This is how God sees us, covered in the robe of righteousness, and our identity is secured. Our identity is secured. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the uh, promised Holy Spirit. As, As John was introducing Jesus, he said, I'll baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is active when, when we're in the word of God, The Holy Spirit is active in the sacraments, and the Holy Spirit claims us and marks us and seals us, and and that cannot be stolen or compromised. There's a whole industry that monitors and helps you secure your identity. Maybe you get those emails too. (laughs) You see those advertisements on the edge of your web browser or even on television. Identity theft is a serious thing. And so identity protection is big business. Just yesterday we were out and as we're driving home, I thought, well, I don't have my wallet in my pocket. Where is it? And so because in the moment I wasn't sure where it was, I started thinking about all the things I would have to do if it had been dropped somewhere or lost. Oh, I'm going to have to cancel credit cards. Oh, I'm going to have to get a new driver's license. Oh, what if somebody picks it up and and tries to do something, right, with my name and my address and credit cards and all the information that's that's right here. (laughs) I found it, so good news. It was in the back of the car where I had put it because when we got out, I thought, I don't want to carry this around and potentially lose it, so I'll put it right here. Well, that moment wasn't completely crystal clear in my mind as I'm driving Identity is important, and your identity in Christ, based on his work, his gift, is yours forever so that we can live a new life. We live a new life. We walk in newness of life. This is from Romans 6 that we heard Mel read. We are buried in baptism. This is in verses 3 and 4. All of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were buried, or baptized, sorry, into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. Crucified with Christ is how Paul writes it in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. We are connected into the death of Jesus and buried in the waters of baptism. We don't often think about that. We look at the waters of baptism as life only. We don't think about the death and resurrection aspect of it. But this is what Paul is teaching, that we are buried with him, we are crucified with him, we are dead to sin, and then united with him in his resurrection. Verse 5, it goes on. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him 
in a resurrection like his. Most of the time as we think about that, we're thinking about when Jesus returns to raise the living and the dead, this is in the creed, that there's this great time of resurrection and the dead come back to life and Jesus is there and everything is perfect at that point. But there's a death and resurrection in the waters of baptism. This is why, actually, Luther liked the, the image of immersion baptism. But he argued for you can do it however you want because the Bible doesn't specify that. But immersion, going under the water, buried with Christ and resurrected, brought back out of the water, just for that, for Romans 6 alone, gives us this good image of being buried and raised again. Having been buried with Christ in baptism, raised to new life, now we are set free. Verse 7 in Romans 6. For one who has died has been set free from sin, and freedom is a good thing. Freedom is always a good thing. There's peace with God. The burden of sin is lifted. We look forward in hope and in expectation to what God is doing and has promised to do, but we live for Christ in the here and now. Freed from the burden that we would otherwise carry. Free from the separation from God for eternity that we would otherwise face. We are free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed, which are words from John chapter 8. Burden still clings to us, weighs us down. Sin still affects our lives, but we are dead to sin and alive in Christ. So we can live for Him, empowered by the Holy Spirit, whom we have been given. We can live for Christ. What does that look like? It looks like people who walk in this newness, who live with integrity, who build on the firm foundation of faith in Christ, who practice holiness, who seek out relationships with others that are also based on Christ, who support one another in life. Even while we're separated, we can do that. We can walk in this newness of life where we live for Christ, where we do the things he's called us to do. What child is this? Well, he's not a child anymore. Who is this? This is Jesus, the Son of God, who makes you his child by grace through faith in the waters of baptism so that you can live a new life in him now and forever. Amen.